0: Episode 11 of Behind the Sport, welcome. How you doing, Brent? Oh, chuffed, man. Stoked. It's, uh,
1: yeah, uh, back to state-level racing this weekend, so really pumped on that. Uh, episode 11, so we're cranking along at some steam now and just got a ripper of a guest tonight, so I'm,
0: yeah, I'm really happy. And look, you'd think by episode 11 that uh, we'd be getting this perfect, but uh, I'm going to fess up and say... I think this is about our eighth take at doing this intro because someone is not getting along with technology tonight, and unfortunately, that guy is me, and I'm the technology guy. So I don't know what help. I hope the rest of us have uh, this evening, but uh, yeah, tonight's guest is Brad Jones. He is the owner of Brad Jones Racing alongside his brother, Kim. We've had three of his drivers on in the last few weeks. Uh, Of course, Nick Perkat joined us. Uh, who is one of the supercars drivers. We had uh, super three driver, Madeline Stewart. Uh, we also had super two driver, Joshua Fife, uh, And of course, Brad's son, McCauley is actually in the team as well. Um, and Todd Hazelwood is the other driver. So, you know, we might just go down the path and get the rest of the team on and just say, yeah, we've had the whole Brad Jones racing team on. Oh, man,
1: we'll get, get the engineers as well. We'll do the whole lot. Works and jerks. Uh,
0: he is a former Australian Oscar and NASCAR championship winner. Uh, he's competed in World Touring Car Championship, World Sports Car Championship, Asia Pacific Touring Car Championship, the American Le Mans Series, the Bathurst 1000, and, of course, the Bathurst 24-hour. So he's a very well-rounded race driver, that's for sure. Mm, he's impressive. And he will join us next. Woohoo! Thanks for joining us tonight, Brad. How are you doing?
2: My pleasure. Um, pretty good, thanks. Yeah, it's, I mean, crazy times for sure in the world, but I'm um, um, looking forward to going racing in a
0: couple of weeks. Yeah, look, I mean, we're um, heading back to racing locally here this week. So, um, yes, I'm really looking forward to that. But um, let's get right into it. Uh, Brad Jones, how did you get involved with racing and what ignited the passion for you? Um, my
2: racing really, for me, started through my father, um, which is a bit of a interesting story. My dad was, um, as a kid, he was a mad keen football player and he used to ride in rodeos and stuff. And then he was 16 um, he contracted polio and um so then he got taken from Aubrey he came from holbrook originally which is a little town about an hour out of town 45 minutes and, and he got taken to Sydney and then he was put in um plaster from his ankles to his hips and they left him there for a couple of years until a lady came along her name was uh sister bridal and um and and sister kenny and they revolutionized the treatment of polio sufferers and And so um, um, dad was quite a bad case and young. So they used him as an example to to treat polio sufferers. So they cut the plaster off him and then they tied his calves to the front of a wheelchair. And because his legs had been in plaster for a couple of years, they they had to really work pretty hard to get him to move again. And then ultimately ended up with a caliper on one leg and a a spring to hold his foot up on the other. So he, he could never run or, you know, he walked around on crutches his whole life. So, um, as as part of going home, his parents bought him a TCMG, and that um, started his his love affair with cars. And so, so my brother Kim and I came along, and Dad was president of the car club in Albury um, for I think twenty five years or something. And so he used to love nice cars, and and um, his his best friend was a mechanic who built his first car out of a Model T um, and J- Uncle Jack used to put um, a vacuum advance off a caravan like a brake vacuum um, so he could have a gear stick, so he used to buy manual cars and have a clutch like a, a motorbike and then a throttle and a push brake, down throttle and push brake. So he would drive around in those cars like a lunatic um, with my brother and I in the car and and really, you know, ever since I can remember, we were going to either working bees or car races. Out, out at the Humeir and um, so really that was the start. But but you know it's a bit more than that. I mean, um, when when there was a race meeting at the Humeir what would happen is um, um, they run a show on our local network, which is Prime now, but it used to be called AMB Four, and Dad had Dad had hosted. So he'd stand there on his crutches with a microphone, and if it was uh, touring cars, he might have. Norm Beachy, Bob Jane, Alan Moffat, and they'd all be in the studio and he'd interview each one of the three of them. And then when they go to an ad, they'd push the cars out and push in, you know, open wheelers or Minis or FJs and he'd interview those drivers. And then at the end of that, um, a lot of the people would come back to our house for a, a barbecue on the Saturday night. So you'd end up with um, Norm Beachy and his wife Marg, Bob Jane, his brother Bill, and Brian Thompson and Skinny Manton and all these famous race car drivers around about our house and they someone get drunk and sleep on the floor and then we go to the races the next day. So it was a pretty cool way to grow up around, around motorsport and, um, and Kim and I really, uh, you know, it was, it, it was quite amazing. I have a huge poster on my wall um, from the Humi races that I, I got from the local car club and it's uh, not the exact same one but the exact same looking one. Um, I used to have on the wall in my bedroom when I was growing up. So, so you know, our, my connection to motorsport really started from a, a very a very early age. You know, it's funny, um, for the Sandown events, the heritage events, Kim and I tend to do our throwbacks back to when we were kids. So we've done Norm Beachy's car. Um, you know, we did Bob Jane's car a couple of years ago. And uh, when I was looking for some designs because I wasn't sure whether we run all three cars or just the one orange, because all Bob's cars were orange. I was looking for something a bit different, and I found a car out of the Hume It was an Elfin sports car, and Spencer Martin was driving it, and it was red with a shell stripe down the bottom, uh, down the centre of it, sorry, and Bob's walking beside it, and I could see in the background of the picture my dad and my Uncle Jack standing there, and my dad used to have an EH Holden with a white roof. It was blue. And, and I could see it parked off to the side. And there's one little kid trying to get in and there's another little kid pushed the lockdown. And so that's Kim trying to get in and he must have been, I don't know, 10 and, and I would have been six locking him out of the car. So, you know, we've been around car racing and cars our whole lives, but that's pretty much how, how it started for us.
0: That's, that's an awesome story. Like, it's, fun. it's nice to hear all the different ways everyone got involved. You know, usually there's a family connection Although last week uh, we had a young girl who um, she's first generation of motorsport. No one else in her family does it. So it's always interesting to hear those different stories. But if you didn't get into racing, if the family wasn't involved with motor racing, what do you think you would have got involved with?
2: Making money. Um, I'm not really sure. I've I've had a pretty crazy life. So... um... I certainly wasn't academically smart enough to become a pilot, even though I I probably would have liked that. So um, I, I, look, to tell you the truth, I've never really thought about it. I'm a spray painter by trade. And so um, one thing's for sure, I know I wouldn't have kept on going with that. So um, I, I, I don't really know. Look, I, I used to race motorbikes as a kid and I, I was um, wanting to go to Europe and race motocross. And, and in those days, there wasn't any Australians that were any good at it. So, um, you know, and then I went in my dad's one day and and I hadn't been out training and I didn't realise but he was going broke and so he got me a job as a spray painter. And um, But I've never, ever really thought of anything other than being a professional motorbike rider or a professional car race driver. For me, being a spray painter was an interim role and, and really being the owner of BJR and running the business is Something that was, you know, I've just ended up with through, I guess, attrition to a certain degree. It's just, just, you know, not something I ever thought, wow, I'd love to have my own, um, BA supercar team one day. It's just sort of a necessity based on wanting to go racing,
0: yeah. And, um, yeah, going back through your history, rock star, uh, I'd like to be star. Rock. <laughs> a rock star, yeah. <laughs> I think, um with your history in racing, you are a rock star. And, um, you know, Australian Formula Ford, Australian GT Championship, Oscar Australian Super Production, NASCAR Australia, you know, Australian Super Touring, and, of course, uh, absolute legend in the OzCar series. Yeah. Do you miss, like, the OzCar the and NASCAR series over here? Do you think it's something that should be brought back?
2: Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to race in lots of categories and be successful. And, and um, you know, everything my brother and I did when we were a team, um, we pretty well, well won and dominated. And, and Oscar, NASCAR racing was one of those things, and we really only faltered um, when we got to supercars. So I think that um, that's something I really enjoyed a lot, and, and probably my greatest regret in racing is um, while I tried to go to America and get a drive, I didn't have any money. And and so getting an opportunity um, wasn't easy. And while twice or maybe three times I thought I was just close enough to get an opportunity, it fell over in the end. And and um, but I used to really enjoy that racing, and and um, and I was fortunate enough to be very successful at it. So um, yeah, I mean it's a different sort of racing. It's an acquired taste. But certainly when the Thunderdome was at its at its peak, um, you know we'd end up with anywhere from 35 to 50,000 people out there on a Saturday night and it was certainly big business and um, um, you know it was that part of my life was really really uh, really good time you know very gratifying and uh, tough but but you know a very good part of my life
0: So you've had quite a few very talented co-drivers and teammates uh, Neil Crompton, Wayne Gardner, Craig Lowndes, you were paired with uh Peter Brock, which uh I believe Barry Sheen caused that pairing to be short-lived with a bit of a crash.
2: Well, um, I got the arse um at the end of the first year because Andrew Medecki turned up with some cash. So um, but yeah, I was you know, being Brock's teammate was a really um interesting in time in my life. I um Crompton and I were very, very good friends and he left Brock's team and went and worked at HRT and so then that left me with um, the opportunity to drive with Brock and Brock used to like spending time with Prompton and I because I always felt like it made him feel young and get caught up in our crazy shit. So he he um, he used to have a, you know, he was always very good to me, Peter and I uh, had a pretty good relationship with him. Very intense competitor, um, and you know, very good operator. I mean, in those days, um, we were driving the Sierras, and he had just come uh, off the back of all the polarizer stuff, and so he didn't have a lot of money, and and uh, didn't have a lot of support from Ford. Had a bit, but not a lot, and and was sort of finding his way again a little bit. So. I've got to say, it was certainly a very interesting time in my life to be involved through that. Right? So, yeah, you know, Brock was one. You know I mean? Lowndes and I finished second at Bathurst. Um, always had a great relationship with Crompton. Gardner was, you know, we had a funny relationship. We, we didn't get on very well to start with, but, um, you know, after a few years, we certainly got along a lot better. Um, you know, John Bauer was a great teammate in terms of, week in, week out. You know, Greg Murphy was another one, Cameron McConville. So, you know, I've had a lot of, of different teammates over the years. Um, yeah, so it's hard to say one in particular is better than any of the others. I, I'd say John Bauer was uh, a very good, you know, we got along great. We are very unusual in our time to be friends with people you're racing against, yep. and I had a good good, friendly relationship with him, and we respected each other. And and um, and even Neil. Neil's been my best friend, one of my best friends since we were kids. You know, we raced motorbikes against each other, so that was a bit unusual. So, um, um, but, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've been a bit, bit lucky through all that stuff.
0: Yep. Now, you had a bit of a stint in the Supercars E-Series for the Celebrity Race. How did you find jumping into the simulator for that?
2: I stopped driving cars at at drive days because I found it became quite frustrating. You know, your mind knows what you need to do, but actually, execution is not so easy. E Series is very similar to that. Unless you spend a lot of time in that simulator, you're never going to be as good as you want. (laughs) So I quite enjoyed it. I certainly felt better about it afterwards, right up until it started. I didn't want to do it. It's only spent, I think, I think I was in it four or five times for a couple of hours at a time. So I felt like I was massively underdone. So, you know, to be inside the top ten uh, or around the top ten um, was actually quite gratifying, to tell you the truth. So I got out of it and thought, yeah, that wasn't too bad. So it all depends on how you go, right? So, yeah. yeah, but it wasn't too bad. It's different. Um, the tracks feel, feel similar, but, but the feeling you get is just not quite
0: the same. And I know uh, Nick's uh, Nick's actually sold his simulator already, so he's done Yeah, a- I heard he was going to get rid of it. He ended yeah, up living
2: in the thing, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm um, going to hand over to Brent. Brent's got a few questions for you. And um, once he's done, yeah, we'll jump back on and have another chat. Cool. There you go. You're back on now, mate.
2: Oh, uh, it's always been a, a – getting an opportunity is a very difficult thing. I was quite shy as a kid, and um, um, when when I – when you were young, when I was racing, you were 20, 25, like that, you know, older. I think when I drove with Brock, I was 29, 28, 29, and I'd been with Mitsubishi for a while. and And just trying to get an interview or getting someone – to to spend any time with you is really difficult. I um, when I was racing production cars, I I remember I went and found Howard Marsden, and it took me two hours to get the intestinal fortitude to go up to him at a track and go, hi, Mr. Marsden, my name's Brad Jones. I I'd, you know really like to see if I could have an opportunity to test the car, maybe co-drive in the Enduros. You know it's just. Really, really difficult. I can can remember sitting in Amaru Park for what felt like days, but it was, you know, three or four hours, and then go up to John Shepherd, who was the team manager. I didn't know John Bow very well in those days. And I went up to John and said, Hi, Mr. Shepherd, my name's Brad Jones. And he said, Yeah, I know you are. And I said, Oh, that's great. I was hoping I might have the opportunity to come and sit down and talk to you with the thought of testing a car and he went not a chance and I went okay so I reckon I sat in the car back in the car park for the rest of the day and didn't watch any racing so so getting an opportunity is back in those days was really tough so I decided if I ever got into a position where I could help someone I would do my very best to do that and and the relationship I've had with Tom Williamson starts from when my son Macaulay was in part of the team and I used to try and go to as many races as I could. I have a great relationship with Tommy. I think he's a great young guy who who really puts his heart and soul into his program. And um, for me, for him, it's about identifying people that are capable of making the jump, which comes in at a couple levels. And It's always been a problem with money. You've always needed to be able to find some to go through, and so that's a prerequisite, unfortunately, nowadays as much as ever, but also have the talent. You've got to have every single thing going for you. So Tommy identifies the talent. He works with young guys. We offer them the opportunity to hang around the team a little bit, you know, with Madeline and Josh. They're two of Tommy's um, protégés that have have come up through the system. And, um, you know, I guess from going to karting, that age group around Anton, Maka, Todd, you know, I know a lot of those kids and what they're capable of doing just from every second weekend going to a go-kart race and watching them. So I think that's a really important part of that. And then, you know, the other thing is I always feel like my door is open. If if you want to ring me or send me an email, spend any time, I'll at least give you the time of sending you something back um, and, and talking to you about what the best way forward is for you. Because, you know, it's it's a difficult business. Racing cars is a lot like horse racing. If you're on a donkey, you're never gonna win the Melbourne Cup. So you need good advice to get to the right place to make the right choices to, to look right on your growth through the sport. And and if you've got all the talent in the world and you're riding a donkey, no one's ever gonna notice you. So you know I try and help anyone that asks for it.
1: Oh that's that's wicked. So um, I was gonna ask about how the scouting process works, but it seems like, you know, been around the karting and having Tommy there is a the big part of it. Um, flipping to the other side, um, BJR I've got some really good engineers working in there and we're kind of lucky that we get to see a bit of that with the, you know, BJR being a bit more out there with the social media side of stuff. Um, with the engineers, um, they're so pivotal now, especially with how modern these, how technologically advanced these cars are. How, what do you look for if you have to go get a new engineer? How's that process work?
2: Yeah. Um. Andrew Edwards and Paul Skelzo, my two senior engineers, that are on the engineering department, and really, they have a process that they go through. Um, you know, we've got a young um, engineer at the moment from WA, Randall, and we, you know, really, we just run an ad and then we go through a vetting process to to try and find the right people. I would say one of the key things we look for is people that have gone to the trouble of spending time around a Formula Ford or, you know, just done a little bit of work previously so they can have a bit of an understanding of MoTeC or, you know, I can remember Malcolm Osler who was the, you know, head engineer at Raynard and and, uh, he was telling me a story once that he had two guys, he couldn't, he's an Australian guy, couldn't decide which one to give the job to so he gave them both a welder and Got to weld two bits of steel together, and whoever world the to steel together best got the job. You know, you've got to be able to do other things, and and if you come into a job as an engineer, but you understand how to read some data, and and you know you're you're a can-do sort of guy, and you work hard, and that's a that's a huge leg up.
1: Wicked. That's um yeah. So being being universal, um, being being good with the data and a doer is key. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one thing, thing I've asked all the drivers so far, um, and it seems to be pretty pretty popular in the news of late. Uh, what's your thoughts on flappy paddles and supercars?
2: Uh, I'm not as passionate about it as some people are. So, so I get the whole you know um, optics of the gear stick, but I mean you know in another 10 years you probably won't be able to buy a car with a gear stick. So, so I, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference to me to tell you the truth. I mean. I, the, the thing I like about the paddles is you can get it to automatically blip, and it'll be less wear and tear on your yeah. gearbox. So I'm I'm not really that patient about it. I used to be very patient about it, but but since it's a sequential box,
1: yeah, yeah. So it's it's probably more cost effective to go to flappy paddles with the style of gear they've got yeah, in them now.
2: Yeah, yeah, 100.
1: Um. All right. One last one before we um before I give you back to Shane the. I mean, I, I grew up uh, in New Zealand, so uh, influenced by a lot of the Kiwi drivers from the glory days. Um, everyone that's a, a supercars fan you know, talks about the glory days. You've talked about some of the guys who influenced you just for being around your house and being the guns of that era. Um, glory days drivers um, versus the modern drivers. Who would win and, and pros and cons? Well, it's always...
2: It's always hard to compare different eras of people, right? And it depends on what sort of cars you're talking about. You take, you talk about touring cars, and you take a guy like Jim Richards, then, then I think you could, you know, slot Jim into lots of different eras, well as as they did, and he would be quite competitive. Um, you know, how would Brock go in a modern car? Um, you know, I, I can remember we were training Glenn Wheatley and. And um, John Farnham for a celebrity race in '89 at Winton, and I was in a little pulsar with Brock, and I'm like, I'm saying to him, "How do you balance yourself in a car, Brock? Like, what do you? You know, I use a I use a footrest. You use your elbow." And he's like, "Oh, I, I just drive fast." And I'm poking and pushing it and trying to work out where he's got his body load to to you know be able to to pick up what the car's doing. And so everyone's a little bit different, but but. You know, the truth is, I think um, if you put Ed and Senna in a current car, he'd still run at the front. And I think that's pretty much the same with lots of different people from different generations. Maybe back in the day when they ran really skinny tyres and front engine um, open wheelers, it might be a bit different. But the truth is, I think if you get a front runner from any era and in the heyday and put him in a the car, then, then they're going to look pretty good. So you'd certainly have a lot of good blokes in the one race, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah,
1: oh. it'd be, be good to see. Yeah, so so
2: I don't, I, don't think, I, I don't think the nuances of the car make a big difference whether they've got paddle shift or a H pattern. I mean, it just all happens a bit quicker. You know, I often say to Macaulay that at Bathurst, I used to be able to, when I was coming out of turn one and going up to two, I would always look back at the totem pole to see, if I was having a good day, one, I'd have a look to see where I was, um, you know, what position I'm in because the radios are always crap and see if I'd done the fastest lap. Um, you know, if you'd done the fastest lap, it would come up on the totem pole. So, so I can't imagine that you've got time or the room to move around in a car now like you did in those days. So
1: just, you know, lots of, lots of the little things that, that make it, you know, quite different. Yeah, I really, really like that analogy. That um, being able to move around in the car, you see some of the pictures of how the belts were back in the day, non-containment seats, production platforms. So, yeah, they're yeah. really not comparable. And yeah, I don't think you can imagine a driver trying to turn around and look at the pit boards even these days. You know,
2: well, the speed and, and it happens. Yeah, different cars feel different. You know, like I can remember the you know the, the Holdens and the supercars that I've run myself for, so, for so many years of others always felt pretty fast, but the top of the hill when I had the Audi Super Touring car, you know, I can remember on my qualifying lap, I went from uh, the cutting to the the top of the hill to drop down to the S's without lifting. Now, um, that was, you know, not as fast as I probably would have been going in a V8, but man, you know, that thing hung onto the road, but it was using every inch of road and and all the commitment I had in my body not to get off the throttle um, until I until I got over the other side of the hill. So, you know, you see those things. Mind you, I took Brock. There's a video on YouTube. I took him for um, a hot lap in it when he was doing commentary and he sort of semi retired. And I can remember him and I driving out and he said to me, um, nothing to prove here, Bradley. I said, yeah, you want to bet? And I said, I think it's ironic that that the fastest lap Peter Brock might ever do around Bathurst is in the passenger seat with me. So hang on. So, um, you know, there's things like that you look back and you laugh at. But that was a fantastic little car, but it was pretty slow down the street.
1: No, nah, that's, that's wicked, man. I could keep asking you lots of nerdy questions about differences in cars and, and where things are going. But I'll give you back to the main man. And um, we know we're pretty pressed for time tonight. So I'll let Shane, he's got some, some more yeah. good questions for you. Well, cool. that's no problem.
0: Obviously, you guys are running on the Holden platform at the moment, and that's all coming to an end. Do you have any idea where you guys are going? No. Um, <laughs> I think that I
2: don't know. We'll wait and see what happens. I, I think you know. Uh, I went to a, I went to a a Holden and a Ford function a couple of months ago, um, just before the season started, and they had like uh, three or four hundred. Holden and Ford fans in the room. And so the guy got me up to the microphone and he said, so, you know, Holden are out, big announcement. So what's going to happen? And I said, well, um, that's it. You know, what you see this year with Holden and Ford, you'll never see again when we get to the end. If People won't be racing cars anymore. That's it. Like, it's going to be finished. You could have heard a pin drop. And I said to him, that was actually a joke. Um, <laughs> It won't change. So I think they'll run Camaros or they'll run a GM product of sorts. Or even if they don't, it might be a supercar. Like I say to many people, people go to the sprint cars and they don't know which chassis people are driving. They're just sprint cars. So you might end up with a supercar. I don't think that's the case. I think you'll end up with Mustangs and Camaros or something like that. And as for us, I don't know, it depends Gen 3 is a big question mark. I think that with all the COVID stuff that's going on, I'm struggling to see how the business can afford to maintain the process of developing and building that thing. So, you know, we might have a Gen 2.5 where we change the roll cage in our current car and we put a, a different, excuse me, different body on it. I'm not sure how it'll all unfold, but but I think I can't imagine not being some sort of Ford product and some sort of GM product. Back in the 60s, it was Mustangs fully imported and Camaros fully imported. Maybe we'll go back to something like that.
0: That'd be pretty cool. Now in your team, you've got some fitness freaks uh, with Nick doing his 200 kilometer rides, Maddie posting workouts every day about what she's up to and Josh with his mountain biking. Have they uh, managed to convince you to jump on and do any join in with them, or are you just watching them and enjoying them being the uh, fitness freaks?
1: Oh yeah, I usually
2: run about thirteen k's every morning. Um, no, <laughs> I'm just watching my wife to see if she's. Oh, little um, probably the biggest fitness freak in the operation is my son Macaulay. So he's a massive, um, massive. Fitness guy, and so when we go to town, we usually go to a health food store, and he gets a little cane basket, and he buys, you know, sweet potato and carrots and all the stuff that they have there, and then gets it put in a paper bag, and then we go to McDonald's and buy my food. So um, it's quite a contrast. So, but you know, it's a big part of of being, um, you know, fit, and it's a lifestyle choice, right? So, so all the young drivers train pretty hard, but. But I've got to say, probably Maka is the one. He broke the world burpee record last last year, last yeah. November, December. How many do? You do? 700 and, 780 burpees in an hour.
0: Yeah, I hate burpees. So
2: yeah, yeah. so do I. <laughs> I can do three maybe. But um, so so I mean, you know, for someone like Maka, it's a bit of a lifestyle choice. But they all train really hard and they're really fit. So, um, yeah, no it's too much for me. I'm way too old for
0: this stuff <laughs> um speaking of uh drivers, if you could have and i you know, we ask this question of everyone, and it's usually their teammate, but as an owner of a team, if you could have two drivers from any era, any discipline sitting in your cars, who would they be uh
2: it's a It's a difficult one uh. You know, like as a kid, I was always a Formula One um, mad follower, and and um, it, it's an interesting question. Usually, uh, um, meaning a hero isn't always a, a great experience. Sometimes it's amazing, but but sometimes it's not. Yeah. And um, but if I I had, you know had to make a really quick choice, I would probably choose Mario Andretti because all the things that he's done. Uh, I think it would be pretty cool. And then I'd probably do a bit of a rotation in the second car. So I'd have Dale Earnhardt Sr. Uh, I'd have Ed and Senna. Um, you know, the guys that you probably have no chance of, of spending a lot of time with and and uh, and seeing what they're like. I mean, you know, I know how focused and single-minded Center is. And, and uh, um, you know, so I said that sort of, it's about my era, but I think I think um, Earnhardt, you know, would be a, a pretty high priority for me. So those sorts of guys. I mean, you know, you, you, I don't talk too much about the Australian people because I know I know them all. So so um, I'd probably want someone who I really rate as a driver, but who I've never had anything to do with, so I could learn a little bit about them. So those sorts of guys. Yep.
0: Cool. Now, who have you been? Who's been your biggest supporters over the years? My biggest supporter, uh, or supporters, if you don't want to, have to be my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Very good answer.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and a friend, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: uh, I think that um, it depends. You know, I, I um, when I started car racing, um, we really didn't have any sponsorship and any help. My dad was was really amazing for me, and um, I can remember. Um, my career had stalled, and uh, there was a production car race in, in Sydney at Oran Park, and it was a pro-am. So um, my dad rang Alan Horsley, who was a, the guy who was running the event, and asked him if there was anyone that didn't have an amateur that they could get. And he said, well, Peter Fitzgerald, who's a front runner in in production car racing, he's, he's got a guy called Peter Hobwood, who's a pro, and so we can't have him. Um, so he, he might have a spot for you. So my dad, you know, as I told you earlier, he was, he's paralyzed in these days. He had an old Valiant station wagon and he rang all our, our local tyre stores and service stations through Albury and said to them, when you see a Bedford truck come through town with a pal colour Mitsubishi staring on the back, ring me. He was working in a car yard at the time. And, um, oh, I, I need to stop that guy and talk to him. So one of the guys, in because the highway used to go through town, right? And um rang him and said dad jumped in the wagon, ran Fitzy off the road just just in the middle of town. Got out of the car and walked up to him on his crutches and said, Hi, look, I don't know who you are. Know if you know who I am. And he said, Yeah, I know. You're the promoter from the feel I raced I raced there a couple of times. He goes great. He said, um I don't know if you know my my son Bradley races a Mercedes for Peter Fowler and Brian Thompson. And uh, they've stopped running that at the moment. I'm looking for a drive and I was wondering if you'd be interested in, in getting him a, a drive in, um, in your pal colour Starion. And Fitzy said, well, I've got Peter Hopwood." And he said, well, he's not going to be allowed. He's a professional. He goes, I don't know where he heard that. But he said, if that's the case, yeah, I'd be interested in having Brad in the car. It'll cost you five grand. And in those days, we could barely afford to buy a sandwich. So we had no money. And um, so my dad shook his hand and jumped in the car and drove around to my work and said, hey, I've got you this driving in car. All we got to do is find five grand. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, we've got no money. Like we don't have $50, let alone $5,000. He goes, no, no, leave it to me. So he went to the local radio station and got them to gift him $2,500 in sponsorship and, and um, of airtime. And then he went and sold it and raised two and a half dollars that way. And then he got a little consortium of guys together who each put in $500 for the other half, two and a half grand, so I got the drive. So I'd say my biggest supporter would would, would have to be my dad. I mean, we went on to win that race, and that led to me becoming um, a factory Mitsubishi driver. Um, Kevin Bartler was a factory guy in Australia, and he was in the race. We qualified fourth, and, and he was leading, and I, I passed him for the lead of the race. And as we went down the braking area, he's... I don't know if you know KB, but he's got a snarly old face with an own face helmet on. And I've got you know the uh, full face helmet with the little tiny holes in the fiber because production cars have a habit of bursting into flames. And um, uh, as we got down to the braking area, I winked at him and he burst out laughing and I outbraked him around the outside and went on to win the race. And after the race, he came and found me. He said, <laughs> I bet you think you're funny. And I said to him, well, you laughed. And uh, he laughed and he said, you're quite a talented kid, you feel son, aren't you? And he said, I said, yes. And he said, okay, give me your number, I'll give you a ring. And he did. So, you know, i have to say my dad had a, a big part of my career. I mean, my brother built a lot of my race cars that I won with. So it's been a bit of a, a family affair for me. So, you know, and I couldn't have done it with a lot of help from a lot of people.
0: Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, I love those little stories about oh
2: kb yeah kb was quite an interesting guy the first time he took me to japan to race it it was quite expensive it used to cost um 10 or fifteen thousand dollars an hour to test the car and so all the time manufacturers would would rent like three hours a day and so you'd run at nine to ten and then you'd run from 12 to one and then you'd run from four to five and then the different time manufacturers so we're with yokohama so we'd run that hour, and Pirelli and Dunlop and Toyo, you know, anyway. So we got to Japan. I'd never been out of Aubrey and and um, um, we turned up to the garage and as I said, KB was always a, you know, pretty assertive old guy. And he looked at me and it was like 10 to 9 and he's uh, like, why are not you dressed?" I went, oh, I thought you'd be getting in the car cab. And he goes, no get dressed so i went off and put on my gear on i came back again it was pissing with rain and we were at fuji and it was intertech which was a big touring car race it had all international guys there so it was a it was a really big deal and um he said get in so i got in the car and out i went i did like you know four or five laps and i came in and i started to take the belts off to get out of the car and he looked across at me and he goes did i tell you to get out and i said no no no, no. so i did the belts back up again and you know and went around he looked at him every time I came in and we changed the car and I got faster and faster and then next session I'm standing there and he goes are you going to get in I went okay still pissing with rain, so I jumped in the car we go out you know the last session I didn't even ask I just got in the car and out I went and I thought wow he's a pretty cool old guy you know he's giving me all this time in the car this is going great so I ended up very fast, you know, I think I was second or third fastest amongst all the Europeans and all the local Japanese guys and, you know, no one had ever heard of me. So then the next day we get to the track and I look at him and he's, you know, he's standing there and I put on my gear and I go and get in the car and by now the rain's almost stopped. You know, it's just like barely a drizzle. I get in the car and I go out and I do like five laps and I'm ready for my first set of slicks. So I come bowling into the pits. And I'm on the radio and I'm like, slicks. And as I pull up, the door flies open and he grabs me by the helmet, drags me out of the car and hops in himself. And I, it didn't rain again and I didn't get back in the car until the race was on. So what I learned from that day is when I'm sharing the car with Kevin, it's pissing with rain, he doesn't want to be in it, I can do as many laps as I want. But when it's slick weather, I'm going to be watching a fair bit. So, you know, <laughs> he's a pretty cool old guy. He was very, very good to me in my career. And he made a, you know, he made a big
0: difference to me. And that, that's a fantastic story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Okay. Yeah. Um, going to head into the last uh, couple of things. Um, usually this stage, you know, we when we have had other guests on, you know, behind them, they've got a bit of memorabilia or something. Oh, um, well, you know what I've got behind me? It's actually a painting that my wife did. Fantastic. I was going to say, do you want to spin a story about how this is uh, some fantastic motorsport uh,
1: Yeah.
2: Well, she painted that after she'd been to the races and had a fair bit of motion sickness. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'll be sleeping by myself tonight. (laughs) Um, I I don't. You know, funnily enough, at home I I don't have much in the way of uh, um, the only trophies I have here are Macaulay's. So, oh yeah. So, so, and we used to have piles of his trophies. I don't know if you can see them, can you? So can you see? Yeah, I can see that one. That one. So that was an amazing weekend. So we have that one and we have his three, the three times he's been uh, in the Australian Championships on the podium. So that first one, the North Shore one, you want me to hold up one of your fingers? No, I no, think no. um, they are. The North Shore one was one of the, I made him stay as a junior, uh, or as a Carter, a year longer. So when a lot of the guys he was racing against came out, I felt like he'd had such a rough run as a junior that that he should um, he should continue on. And that was the first race he did as a senior. And then the prize pool was a trip to America, to Disneyland. And so um, it was. Uh, he, he I can't think of the guy's name he's racing, but it was the final was an amazing race and. The the other guy was probably 10 or 15 years older than Macaulay and they swapped uh, the lead. It was a 35-lap race every lap and then three laps from the end, the other guy got away a little bit and it looked like he was going to beat Macca. And so when they got to the last uh, S's, um, Macca raged up around the outside of him and then side-potted him in the last corner and pushed him off the road and won the race and got the trip to America. And it was the most aggressive I've ever seen him drive the car so or the cart. So it was it was just that, you know, it just showed me how much commitment he had to win that trip. And he didn't want to go to Disneyland. He wanted to use that to go and race at the end of the year and um, and, and compete against all the carters around the world. And every time I look at that, I remember the race very fondly. And I remember that was the day that I, I knew that he had the commitment to get the job done and he would do whatever he needed to do to win, which is what racing's all about. And uh, so, yeah, so I keep that trophy here. And honestly, every time I look at it, it makes me smile. I've got a couple of Bathurst trophies downstairs. Oh, yeah, and I've got a Jackie Chan trophy here somewhere. (laughs) I've
0: got to ask, what's the Jackie Chan trophy?
2: (laughs) um, Well, Jackie Chan used to sponsor a race at Macau. Have you got it there somewhere Melly? Jackie used to, and so when you raced, uh, because he was a Mitsubishi um, supported star. So he he was huge. When we would go to Hong Kong and you were with Jackie, you you just like, it was unbelievable. You know, they would flock him. And so twice, uh, so they take all these Mitsubishi Mirages over. It's got a din in it because my wife dropped it, but can you see
0: it? Jesus, that's out of So can you see that? Yeah, yeah a bit to your yeah. – yeah, that's awesome. So
2: what happened was <laughs> the first year I went and raced at um, in Macau, um, Mitsubishi got me to drive a Mirage, and the race is a little bit rigged for any Japanese to win it. And and um, so I finished third the first time I went there. I finished third the first the first three place get get to sit with Jackie at dinner, and and so then I went back um, a year later and I won the race, which was a huge amount of problems. But um, I, so I got to sit with Jackie and, you know, so it was, yeah, it was crazy. So it was, but that you know what a little Mirage is, right? It's like a little Mitsubishi Colt, yeah, a turbocharged yeah. <laughs> one, and um, they would wind the boost up for all the Japanese drivers and wind it down for any of the Chinese or the,
0: you know,
2: round eyes, which is me. Yeah. But, but I was fortunate enough to win anyway, so so it was you know it was an amazing experience. And I used to give you so much tro- so many trophies and and like I said, you get to spend spend the night with Jackie, which was really interesting. Anyway, you know, it was a, so you know I've got all these pictures of me and Jackie. Yeah, very funny. He's quite an interesting guy, actually. Great, great to have dinner with.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, I think that just confirms your status as a rock star of uh, uh, I don't know about Australian that. motorsport. Yeah, it was all a bit crazy, man. I could almost call you Hollywood if have been hanging out with Jackie, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember I showed someone the picture and they're like, who's
2: that? Is
0: that Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Look, um, 10 days out from racing, so uh, you'll be a very, very busy man, I suspect um so i thank you very very much for coming on and taking some time to chat with us um because you're at sydney motorsport park for the first round and then sometime towards the end of october the last day of october in perth so hopefully uh we'll bump into each other down at the track but yeah, sure. um yeah look again thank you very much for spending some time um you like catching up with uh i guess um the rock stars and yeah, the up-and-comers and, you know, it's, it's, it's been quite interesting so far and obviously looking forward to catching up with others. And, um, yeah, cool. if there's anyone or anything you want to mention, feel free right now.
2: Nah, it's alright. I don't need to give anyone a plug. I am looking forward to the start of the season, though. The only problem is with the restriction we've got, I've got to watch it on telly at the moment. Right. I don't to get a pass, so that's going to be quite difficult because um, I've only ever missed one, one and a half other races. So I'm um, I'm really looking forward to the, to the restart of the season and to see where we're at. It's um, Supercars a very, very competitive category, and we've undergone a massive amount of change, and it'll be interesting to see whether the brake changes the pecking order. I, I can't, can't imagine it will too much, but hopefully we're going to do enough things to make the racing great and... Um, And hopefully, you know, our BJR cars will be running up around
0: the top 10. Yeah. Well, hopefully all that uh, fitness work, especially Nick's putting in, pays off. So, (laughs) all righty. Well, um, yeah, thanks again. And um, we'll catch up with you another time.
2: Okay. No worries. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time.
0: So, that was Brad Jones. Um, Some great stories there. Um, Loved the bit about Jackie Chan. just yeah really cool dude I, I i really enjoyed talking to the rest of these crew and now to have the big man himself on uh was fantastic yeah No, or well, not
1: so big man you know i, I still reckon he's lost a, a heap of weight or maybe it's just cuz we're seeing more of the Brad Jones team with the you know the new social media stuff they're doing um I enjoyed the, the stories of the glory days, the um, production car racing, what his dad did for him, how he strung that deal together. Um, you know, he obviously learned a lot of traits from his old man, putting deals together, getting guys and cars. Um, and that's just the lifeblood for him, man. The the Jackie Chan stuff, just certified he's a rock star, as picking drivers. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's... Uh, pretty cool. It's, it's wrapping up a wicked week. You know, we were returning to the racing They're getting ready for it. Um, yeah, I was just blown away. It was, it was really, really
0: good. Yeah. And look, um, in the next couple of weeks we've got, uh, some fantastic guests lined up. Um, next week we have, uh, Luke Verzma, who is a young drifter from Western Australia. He's pretty damn talented. Um, And, yeah, looking forward to having a chat with him. Um, And then the week after, we're going to the Bathurst International. But uh, we'll chat about more about that next week. Uh, Because the most important stuff, of course, is this week for Western Australia, back on track. Um, The WA Sporting Car Club has uh, today released their return to track, uh, return to racing stuff um so you know a bit different and you know as brad mentioned you know they've got restrictions at supercars level um at local level um you know especially especially in wa uh you know it's one pit person for every team uh, for every driver uh no spectators allowed um they've readjusted all how the marshals are working they're going to be in yeah you know, family members that live together are going to be in the same uh same marshal points um to to assist yeah you know, with with social distancing requirements um and you know i i know like outside of that you know the the usual you know, gaggle of media has been reduced um for this event um and you know that's the same everywhere you know some some people are getting let in, some aren't. Um, and that's just how it is. Uh, that's just how, you know, for every every media person or non-essential person that's there is one less participant that could be in there. And, you know, we need the participants back on track, uh, to help, you know, their sponsors and that, uh, as well as themselves, obviously. And um yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good decision to, to reduce the other numbers for now. And obviously that'll just build up over time. Um, yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean,
1: they've, yeah, I mean they've, they've got to follow the rules. CAMS, you know, even though WA were pretty lucky with the whole COVID thing, um, CAMS, or, or sorry, uh, MA, they've put out the guidelines. We've got to follow those guidelines. Um, some of them are pretty practical, you know, the self scrutineering sort of stuff, putting more ownership on the drivers. Uh, everyone's just going to be a whole lot more organized, and hey, that might lead to slicker running races in in the future, so yeah, it's I'm just stoked to be back racing um, it, you know it' it's been driving me crazy not being able to race. Um, there's some pretty cool stuff going on. some of the cars coming out are gonna be pretty hot. um, some of the guys have been doing some pretty good testing, and you know it's all sort of leading up to June's gonna be a ripping month, so we've got the sim cup next week as well, so. Yeah, it's going to be really good. I'm I'm keen.
0: And, of course, outside of Western Australia, there is a lot of the clubs around Australia are starting to pick back up again. Um, Motorsport Australia is sending out almost daily updates of who's been back racing, uh, which is cool. Um, Formula One's uh, heading back to track in uh, July, I think it is. Um, yeah, and they've got some back-to-back races and all sorts of crazy stuff going on there. Um and I think we might have talked about the fact, you know, Danny Ricardo's now going to McLaren next year. Uh I know that's old news, but you know, we've been focusing on other stuff. Um and yeah, obviously the yeah, as you said, the the charity sim racing cup for MNDI is next week. Um and yeah, it sounds like it's gonna be a pretty damn amazing event. Um yeah, so many people and businesses involved with that. Um, yeah, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, they've all come together. And you know, you've got a guy who's just uh, Scott Medhurst, his name is. And, you know, he's been doing his own uh, fundraising. And, you know, what's he up to so far?
1: Um, I think Scott's just ticked over at $1,100 um, donated to uh, Racing Premium DI. So, yeah, that's wicked, man. I had no idea it would get this many people this keen about it when I started off. You know, originally it was just going to be an idea of a, a bit of a shindig for us, for Lux. And and um, I normally donate every year to MNDI causes. It's pretty close to me. And then sort of clicked that we might as well do it as a, as a proper race and then hooked up, you know, John helped us out. And then everyone's just jumping on. We've got that many sponsors now. I think just about everyone's going to walk away with the prize. Um, you know, there's nearly three and a half grand so far going through to MNDI. It's... Um, you know, for just our group of jolly racers, um, I think it's yeah, we're done pretty cool. It's gonna be a ripper day. We've got some wicked cars on display, we've got um speedway covered, we've got sports sedans, big bangers, we've got Formula Fords, we've got cup XL cup cars, it's man, it's it's cool. So the the more the merrier. Um we're restricted to three hundred people being there and obviously inside you can't fit that many people, but I mean if people want to come up and, and see some cool e racing, um check out some, you know, proper hardcore race cars and uh generally for a good cause have a good good day and yeah it's
0: going to be going to be wicked and look on the subject of sponsorship the it's everywhere at the moment is obviously tight with money and and you know sponsorship is going to be hard to get and now is the time for public service announcement i guess is that it's, it's, it's time for everyone to just give that little bit extra, you know, in terms of their efforts around making sure, you know, race drivers, make sure your sponsors are well looked after, you know, post on your social media side of things. If you don't know how, contact media people to help out, you know, organize media sponsorship for yourself. You know, Andrew Melkin from Melkin Motorsport, you know, he, he did up this awesome proposal, came to me and said, hey, look, you know, we want you as a sponsor. And, you know, I'm not in a position to give away money, but, you know, we're we're doing media sponsorship. So he's getting a lot of, you know, a really cracker of a media package. His sponsors are going to be well looked after, you know, and especially now that there's, you know, no spectators at track. Now is the time to get your social media stuff sorted out, you know, and keep those sponsors interested because next year, if the sponsors walk away because they don't get a return, well, because their businesses, you know, failing, there's going to be less competitors. You're not going to be able to go racing. You're not going to be able to do all the cool stuff you do now. And sponsorship is going to be key for the next couple of years. And keeping those sponsors happy and, you know, giving them a the value for money on what they've been given. Now is the time to really do that. Because I think sponsorship is taken for granted a lot. Um, and. It 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 is gonna be hard to get. It's gonna be really hard to get. Yeah, companies, yeah, have to make changes to how they're structuring things at the moment. Yeah, the the sponsorship of mum and dad won't necessarily be that big anymore. Yeah, because obviously they've got their own issues out of all this.
1: Yeah, I think drivers just need to um need to gear up. They you know, state level motorsport is competitive, um, it's expensive. I get it but you, you've got to put your piece in so you've got to talk to the commentators tell them who you are what you've been up to what your sponsors do find the photographers buy them a can of coke whatever just get in their face so they know who you are because you're more likely to get photos of your car out there talk to the people at the track talk to um post on social media like you like you're some sort of blogger you know just go hard because it's all you've got and like Shane said, if these sponsors disappear and if cars aren't getting out there or people find it a bit hard, man, it's gonna suck. Um, and I'm gonna have to learn how to play golf. No one oh. wants that. No. I
0: mean, look, if I if I started playing golf, it'd be like Happy Gilmore out there. Um, but we can't have too many happy Gilmores out there. But um, yeah, you know, like motorsport motor is a passion, it is uh you know it's a privilege to be able to be involved with it on all levels media wise you know supplying racing the works and I just think this is a good time you know social media is free, yeah you know like it just takes a bit of your time, just help your sponsors out, get the word out there um yeah it's not just you know West Australians are talking to everyone, yeah, there's been a yeah, when you look at uh, yeah, some of the guests we've had on, uh, you know, they've been really talking about all their sponsors. And uh, yeah, because I know that, that they're not getting their return that they would usually. Uh, a lot of the sponsors have stuck around, which is fantastic. Um, but if they don't, no motorsport, which will suck. And then I might have to do like a real job. Yeah,
1: no, nah, bugger that. <laughs> no but yeah give back and everyone like it seems cheesy like but and especially once we get allowed back and you're allowed more pit crew to help out or more friends to turn up give them your phone give them a gopro give them something just down to start posting photos and stories write a vlog write something send it to your media guys send it to whoever man just get it get it out there and you'll soon realize it's just the way the modern world i mean look at 11 shows in and we've got you know one of the biggest team owners in the country come on and it's all direct to consumer i keep saying that the the big media companies don't hold the keys anymore you know you can just jump on there and go direct and as soon as someone sees it and likes it that shares tenfold like people just got to start doing it if we want motorsport as we know it and grew up loving it to survive um but on to positive notes racing's this weekend um tuning day on friday point to point on saturday um reverse layout as well reverse layout for point to point which is wicked the the uphill run from jackson to the track that's gonna be cool um real door-to-door racing on sunday like you know Shane knows how excited i get about proper door-to-door racing so all good things and then supercars coming back so our australian premier category um yeah and formula one man
0: what more what more could you want as a gearhead and smack and smack. Smack. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyone that hasn't heard my reference to smack, uh, it is not anything uh, illicit, although, you know, motorsport can be
1: a Turns bit different.
0: Um, smack is the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships. Uh, round one is slated for uh, August at Sydney Motorsport Park. Uh, followed by Sandown in September, The Bend in October, and uh, Phillip Island uh, is listed as October, but that's probably going to change. Um, but, you know, some fantastic tracks there. Um, yeah, the and then, uh, as mentioned before, then the Bathurst International event, which is not part of SMAC, uh, is on in November. And that has now been extended to four days. Uh, the latest announcement is that Porsche Cup is joining that racing. Um, so, the um, it's just going to be a huge event. I'm mean, already hoping the borders are going to be open. Um, I've already booked my accommodation. Um, I'll wait a bit later to book flights. Um, but, yeah, the the categories now racing there are TCR Australia, Trans Am, the fantastic S5000s, Touring Car Masters, historic touring cars, the Radicals, the Bathurst Six Hours is on as well. The XL Challenge is happening. Uh, Porsche Cup Racing is now happening as well. And there is also a tribute to Holden, uh, which is the Holden-Bathurst revival going on. And uh, I think they said they're going to expect about nearly 100 cars for that.
1: Yeah, I think there's a um, publication today about that that they've already got expressions of interest. Yeah, already uh, expressions of interest already filled for that. Yep. Um, Yeah, it's incredible, man. It's going to be wild. I mean, I just... I'm a fan of the – anything endurance-wise, we don't get enough of it in Australia, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, the six-hour keen, Porsche's keen, radicals, wild cars, S5000s, man, we're looking to see what they can do there. That's going to be insane.
0: And uh, the the just on a, a bit of a note, the, the first V8 supercar to confirm its place on the grid for uh, the Holden Revival is actually – A uh, Perkins Engineering-built Commodore VR of Darren Freeman. Uh, The chassis, uh, which is PE018, was originally built to the VP specification for West Australian privacy. Ian Love. So a bit of West Australian uh, heritage on the racetrack. Um, But, yeah, look, there's going to be so many uh, different uh, eras of Holden's on track. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an event to watch, yeah. So, yeah, all righty. Well, do we can thank you? We're going to end up episode 11 done and dusted. Thank you very much, Brent. Uh, thank you again to Brad Jones, and uh, thank you to everyone who is listening. Of course, you can catch us on iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify iTunes, uh, Google has actually added to this to their podcast list, which is um, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, didn't even ask him. And of course, YouTube and Facebook for the video. Catch you later.